Oh, wow. Basketball fans everywhere. Appreciate you guys for joining me. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know exactly what this is. Welcome back in episode number 73, I believe it is now, of Tate's Take. You know, we like to call it the best, the most informational, the most educational, and the most entertaining basketball content on the planet in the form of a podcast. And uh, make sure that you go and subscribe anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Be sure as well to follow us along on all social media platforms at Tate's Take Hoops. T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S. And without further ado, you guys know you never know you're going to get here on the on the, uh, on the the program as a guest. And so I got a special treat for you guys. I want to make sure that I get ready to bring my dude on right now uh, from, uh, from the green room. Ah, perfect. There he is. That's the guy that I was looking for right there. George Lynch, NBA vet, former head coach, co-founder of HBCU Heroes, and of course, a North Carolina Tar Heel alum. Make sure you give him a follow on social media at uh, at G Lynch Coach. That is at G Lynch Coach. Uh, First of all, Coach George, how are you? I'm doing great. Doing great, man. I can't complain. The weather's getting nicer around here and... uh... Just trying to enjoy it. I know that's right. You and me both. And if I could just keep that piling off of my car, that will be doing me so much better, <laughs> to be honest with exactly. you, quite honestly, because it is just a total headache. You don't know if you can wash it or what you can do to that thing. And I want to start this out. Uh, and, I, and I actually wanted to definitely mention this as part of the introduction. Los Angeles Lakers, where you were drafted, played for the Vancouver Grizzlies at that time. We'll pick your brain a little bit about that as well. Uh, the seven Philadelphia 76ers, Charlotte Hornets, New Orleans Pelicans, was the uh, state of Virginia Mr. Basketball, McDonald's All-American, National Championship Award winner, and an All-ACC recipient. So I want to make sure I cover all the bases <laughs> when it comes to my dude, George, who we are always appreciative of having. Um, let's open it up with this first. Talk to me a little bit about uh, HBCU Heroes for those who may not necessarily have heard of it or are very familiar uh, with exactly what that is, what type of program it is, and so forth. Uh, be able to elaborate for us a little bit on uh, what what that offers. Uh, HBCU uh, Heroes is a, um, a nonprofit platform that tries to assist students who wants to attend HBCUs. Um, no matter what gender, what color, what ethnicity, we want to support any student who wants to attend the HBCU. Uh, we give out forms of scholarships. We make the connections. We um, we help students who graduate from S- uh, HBCUs get into the corporate space of work. Uh, we have a career fest May 14th. You can follow that on the, the HBCU Heroes um, website. And it started out, um, I was coaching at Clark uh, back in 18, 19 season. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of challenges for my student athletes. Uh, you know, I had students, athletes, athletes was on full scholarships that didn't have books. So there wasn't enough book resources, uh, you know, trying to provide the necessary things for, for most student athletes at other universities, training table, have a healthy meal so that they can perform on the court, uh, having, you know, more than two sets of uniforms so they can change the uniforms, uh, uh, you know, having practice uniforms, having basketballs, you know, having sneakers. Uh, those are things that the PWIs take for granted. 
uh, or most people who play at a Division One level. But a lot of times at some of the smaller HBCUs, you know, they got to pick and choose, you know, what, you know, athletic uh, team they support and how much they can give. And, you know, it's a lot of, you know, uh, while I was at Clark, there's a lot of teams, a lot of teams, sports teams, boys and girls that needed, you know, the, just the bare necessities. And uh, that's how we started HBCUs. We wanted to raise money to help fund athletic departments. Uh, and then, you know, when COVID hit, you know, right before March during the Final Four, a lot of students at HBCUs went home without, you know, laptops and technology to be able to finish their schooling. And so we we started a program to to um, tech for COVID to raise awareness and, and get student athletes at different HBCUs, laptops and computers, um, just the things that being in America, you take for granted. And, mm-hmm. and now that, you know, COVID exposed a lot of our our, our, um, our weaknesses, you know, not having kids not able to get on Wi-Fi, uh, kids not having, you know, laptops and computers. And it was a real challenge. It still is a challenge. What, what exactly would you say kind of triggered you to go into uh, doing such a thing and creating this lane? uh for the hbcu students and, and and things of that nature well one thing led to another um you know clark atlanta gave me the first opportunity to be a head coach uh you know i was i was an assistant at smu i was you know on staff at uh uc irvine um and and when the opportunity i did the g league and you know i knew that you know i could be a good good head coach given the opportunity and they gave me the first opportunity. And then, you know, going to school at Chapel Hill, you know, you have you have Central, St. Aug, NC, uh, North Carolina, West, uh, A&T, you got Winston-Salem State, all those schools around. And I've been on those campuses, you know, to the um, to the football games and the, you know, the parties, but I never experienced, you know, being an athlete or being a student on campus. And when I got to Clark those two years, uh, been exposed to the bright students, you know, the athletes who knew that they didn't have a professional career after school. So they took their schooling serious. And it was my job and my duty as a coach, as a leader of the men's basketball program to try to make sure that our students got what they needed, you know, books, you know, a proper meal after games and before games, uh, you know, sneakers to play their games in, you know, things like that, that, you know, the bigger programs with the large endowments and the, the you know, athletic budgets that can, mm-hmm. you know, take care of every athlete. A lot of HBCUs don't have that. Talk about uh, the importance of students that should maybe utilize this particular platform or program um, and, and, and the ways that it can really benefit them or that they can, you know, get the most out of and maximize, um, you know, being a part of all of it. Because I, as you can imagine, especially with everything that's going on in the world today and especially uh, the HBCU programs being highlighted a little bit more and things of that nature, maybe uh, not only just ways that you feel like it's important that uh, students should utilize this, but also um, 
even sharing, you know, your overall thoughts or your overview uh, of of how HBCUs are being sought now as of late and recently versus how they were before the pandemic and things like that. I think I think we as a minority blacks, African Americans, are now controlling the narrative. Um, you know, we we always knew that there was always smart and bright students at HBCUs. They were producing leaders, future leaders of our country. You know, uh, now it's just been um, taken advantage of. You know, Kamala Harris became vice president. Uh, you know, several others. You know, the the attorney uh, attorneys for a lot of the issues that's going on today are being recognized. Have attended black um, HBCUs, and and we're about we're trying to help any student who would like to attend an HBCU. Uh, mm -hmm. And people ask that question, why you? Because I went to a PWR. I had uncles that went to HBCUs. They um, they tried to encourage me to go to an HBCU, but at the time, in the 90s, HBCUs didn't recruit me because I was, a like you said, I was Mr. Basketball, I was a McDonald's All-American. But they still didn't, you know, they didn't come to my my house and my living room and recruit me as a, as a player. So I didn't have the opportunity, you know, and other than my uncles telling me they went to an HBCU, I I didn't I'd never been on a campus until I got had already committed to Carolina and was in school at Carolina. Uh, so I think now um, HBCUs are, are are getting support. They're going after uh, you know more talented players, and hopefully some of those guys will will um, will give an HBCU an opportunity to at least go on a visit. Uh, and that's what it's about. We're, we're here to help. Uh, HBCU Heroes is here to help, um, you know, high school seniors and juniors who would like to attend an HBCU. We're mm -hmm. here to help undergraduate students who are about to graduate and look for careers. And we're also trying to help um, HBCU students who have their businesses and corporate who would like to hire an HBCU um, student. So we, we're, we're a small company. Um, nonprofit that's been around for about almost two years now, and okay. we're small enough that if there is a need, we can pivot to those areas to support. Like May 14th, we're doing the Career Fest, and we're looking for sponsorships from other companies to to get these engage these um, students from HBCUs who's going to be going into the workforce, and we're hoping to be that facilitator finding and identifying those bright students for those um, corporate um, corporate jobs in America. And if I'm not mistaken, as I pull this up really quickly, and hopefully I have the, uh, hopefully I have the correct information here that you were talking about, uh, make sure that uh, you guys go and secure that bag. Of course, that's not, it's such a popular thing to say nowadays, but listen, it, we mean it on this side when we say go and secure the bag. Uh, HBCU Career Fest Friday, May 14th that you see uh, George Lynch talking about. Make sure that you go and uh, get more information if need be, www.hbcu hbcuheroes.org that's www.hbcuheroes.org so certainly appreciate you uh definitely uh mentioning that and um making it well aware even for people like me uh and opportunity uh, providing and creating opportunities for people like me and 
and people that look like me. Uh, so I definitely want to give you your flowers on that as well. Uh, I want to switch gears just a tiny bit. Uh, and I want to get into some of this right here because this is the stuff that I am also equally passionate about as we change uh, a little bit of the background there. Uh, as of recently, as we got uh, George Lynch, uh, NBA vet, former head coach of Clark Atlanta uh, University and uh, co-founder of HBCU Heroes, North Carolina alum, talking a little bit, transitioning now about the Tar Heels. Roy Williams stepping down from the head coaching uh, job uh, at North Carolina Chapel Hill, now being replaced by a guy who kind of helped me create my first start in this business as a personality and as a talent um, in Hubert Davis and, and, and being in now uh, the head coach being named to replace Roy Williams and have been an assistant for somewhere right around a decade or so. Here's my question to you. Did you sense Hubert Davis, as that was your teammate uh, during some of your playing days, at least one year anyways? Three years. Uh, three years. Three years. That's right, because you had all but one year, uh, which was the championship year to play with him. Did you sense Hubert uh, coaching tendencies as a teammate at that time that he could maybe get to this point or would take a road like this? If so, what were some of those tendencies? Well, you know, the the thing that, you know, I feel that every player – who had an opportunity to play for a Hall of Fame coach and Dean Smith, Coach Roy Williams, you know, Coach Mike Krzyzewski, you know, I had an opportunity to play for Larry Brown. Those guys shared a lot of knowledge um, that young players today can really benefit from. And I've always felt that if I didn't share that knowledge, I had two sons that I could share it with. And they always played, you know, my youngest son is 15 now. He plays AAU. So I try to stay around and teach these young guys, especially the things that, you know, Coach Smith taught me, Larry Brown, you know, being around the Carolina program. Uh, it was always about giving that back, that experience. Uh, and I'm sure Hubert felt the same way. And, you know, he went to went through the broadcasting uh route with ESPN for a while and then mm -hmm. decided to, you know, get into coaching. Uh, Coach Williams, you know, blessed him with an opportunity to sit on the bench beside him, and and now he's the head coach. Uh, did I see that in Hubert uh, while doing our playing days? No, he was just a fun guy to be around. He was, you know, uh, to me he was a, uh, you know, kind of like the he, – he was a sophomore when we came in as a freshman, so he was the – the, the big brother that was on campus in the dorms that kept the young guys like myself on the straight and narrow. And, uh, you know, he's always been a great guy, uh, God-fearing, uh, Christian-type brother. And, I mean, like I said, you know, every every former player, we, we want the Carolina job to stay in the family forever and always. And for Hubert to get the opportunity to coach, being a black man, having an opportunity to coach at North Carolina, you know, I didn't think it was going to happen in our time. So I'm very excited about that. And it couldn't have happened to a better person. Uh, and I think he'll do a great job. I'm glad that you said that. You've touched base on not only uh, further questions that I had, but even just mentioning some of the things that I wanted to follow up with. Uh, and just talking about who he is as a person. And um, 
it's you know what I'm 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 going to ask it be, uh, out of out of respect, but it has to be asked. Uh, I it's it's not a secret. I don't think at this point. I'm sure that you're well aware of uh, his comments during his post game presser and things like that. Just in, just just your thoughts on some of the which I personally believe is somewhat unfair of scrutiny uh, that he has received because of it. Um, but just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on his comments, because I think a lot of what is being taken out of context in terms of what he said, um, you know, think things that people may not hey, say, maybe he meant this by it or, or, or you don't know what he meant by it or what type of person he is, because he is a phenomenal person. Just wanted to mm -hmm. get your thoughts. Well, I was at the press conference and I don't know exactly what he was thinking, mm -hmm. but from the questions that was thrown at him, the questions he kept having to repeatedly answer, it seemed like the, the, the reporters was trying to make a big issue out of him being the first black man hired on campus, you know, with, with everything going on in this country today, you know, he was just saying, look, I'm comfortable in my shoes. I'm comfortable with making decisions. I'm a, I'm, I'm comfortable being a Christian and uh, you know, because there was questions about, you know, following up Dean Smith, Bill Goffridge, and Roy Williams. You know, he's he's comfortable in being who he is, and that's that's what uh, came across to me. I didn't take it out of context that, you know, he said, I'm proud that I got a white wife. He was just letting everybody know, look, I'm, I'm proud that my wife is a mixed biracial family and my wife is white. Uh, I don't think he made a I don't think he was trying to make a big deal, deal out of it, trying to, look, I'm proud I'm married to a white woman. People just took it out of context, like you said. So he was just trying to state the fact that he's happy in who he is. He's happy in his family members. His father was there. He talked about his mother. And I think the fact that the reporters was trying to make it a, a black-white thing, he was just trying to say, look, I don't look at color like that it's not a big deal to me i'm happy mm. you know so you know it's and then, and then being a professional athlete you you sometimes you kind of sheltered for all the the racial issues that go on in america and then you know being at north carolina the people in north carolina white black hispanic asian whatever they love star heels so you know I don't think he probably ever experienced a racial issue on campus at Chapel Hill because he was Hubert Davis, a basketball player, and now he's Hubert Davis, assistant coach and, and head coach. And it'll probably be another 20 years before there's a chance for someone to look at him sideways until he loses a few games. <laughs> <laughs> No, and I was going to say, I'm glad that you mentioned quite a few of the things you did because people are only going to hear this little piece of what was said and like, oh, what was this person thinking, but not hearing the questions that were leading up to it, nor the things that followed it. Uh, so I definitely want to put that piece out there, especially, which I didn't know, but thank you so much for sharing as someone who was also at that press conference. You were a college basketball coach um, over at Clark Atlanta. And uh, during, based on your experience, is there any advice that you would give Hubert Davis all across the border, even if you have uh, shared any advice with him already. Well, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to talk to Hubert personally. We we text and I congratulated him. Uh, and I told him I'm available if he need a staff. Uh, my advice when you're the head coach, 
you got to make the decisions and mm. every decision that you make falls in your lap. So mm. hiring your staff, what play calls, you got to make the call and you got to be the one to go to sleep at night. Mm. So not your assistants, not your support staff around you. Every decision you make is going to impact one of those young men and you have to look at it that way. Sounds good. Thank And listen, I, I know that we're up against it. We had a conversation yesterday and said 20 minutes, and I don't want to hold you for too much of your time. Uh, so just wanted to get a couple more questions in here, if that's okay with you. Um, uh, let's go here, because this is typically what I tend to do from time to time. So we do have a particular special segment here on my podcast and it's called quick release it is somewhat of a similar rapid fire if you will but of course no rush feel free to answer as quickly or as long as you would like for that to be because we know that uh your time with us obviously is extremely extremely valuable um let's start this off right off the back with uh i like this one right here this one should be good take me back to april 5th 1993 i'm not sure that anybody was closer than you were uh to see a timeout being called just the first thing that you think of or just take me through that night in that particular moment what that happened and what it was kind of like in that moment that only only we can hear stories of but you were right there on the ball playing defense well it's, it's funny because I get every year during the final four, you know, those highlights come up or someone's talking about it. I get asked that question. And being an armchair quarterback now, back in December, we played, we played Michigan in the, uh, uh, that year of 1992, well, 92, mm -hmm. 93 season. We played Michigan in Hawaii and Chris Weber was always trying to bring the ball up the floor. And he wasn't my man um, at the time. And um, going back, uh, we lost to him at a tip-in and a buzzer. They tipped the ball in one by one, uh, no box out. And Coach Smith was very stickler on fundamentals, being sound, being aware, time, possession, everything. So we played him then. Chris Weber was taking the ball out. I mean, trying to be a point guard, bringing it up. Jalen Rose or whoever, not a primary ball handler, was taking the ball out of bounds. So championship game, probably two or three plays before he called the timeout, I told Derek Phelps, I said, D, me and you going to do a two-man press. I'm going to get up. I told Eric Montrose, I said, look, you run back and protect the rim. Because I was supposed to have been guarding Jawan uh, Howard. So okay. – we jumped Chris. He traveled. They didn't call it. He dribbles the ball up the sideline. And, uh, you know, so they had burned a couple of timeouts before that um, earlier, where late in the game, um, they burned a couple of timeouts because they didn't have a press offense. Mm -hmm. So I told Derek, I said, anytime Jalen takes it out, I'm going to get up and we do a two-man press, two against one, because they only had one guy back. And once they get it in, you can run back to Jalen. And if he gets it across half court, I'll run back to Jawan Howard. Because Chris really wasn't looking to shoot a three or whatever. Sure. So my charts could just step up. 
and get back to them. And uh, it worked out in our favors. Um, we were a pressing team. We trapped the sidelines. So we knew once he dribbled the ball up the sideline and crossed half court, it played in our favor because you had the sideline, the half court line, and the baseline, out of bounds lines, that he couldn't go anywhere. And mm -hmm. um, it just, it worked to our favor. I, I, I watch I watched Final Fours, you know, I watched the Gonzaga kid hit the shot. I watched, you know, I was at the Final Four when, when, um, when Villanova hit the shot against North Carolina. Late in shot clocks like that, you don't run back. You pressure up, make them make a decision. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, if you pressure up and make them make a decision, they don't make that shot. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, for us, fortunately, that year, uh, he called a timeout that they didn't have. And I probably would have did the same thing. It was 70,000 okay. people in the stand. <laughs> yeah. Some people on your bench saying timeout <laughs> or no timeout. I mean, shit. You know, and knowing that we were a trapping team, that he had nowhere to go, it just it. A lot of people say it cost them the game, but we were up. They would have mm -hmm. had to hit a three to beat us anyway, and we would. I like to think we were too prepared as a team, not to make too many mistakes to give them a second opportunity if they just scored. And, and interestingly enough, I just had I had I had to hear it from the man's mouth himself because <laughs> I've heard so many different things and stories. I'm like, you know what? One of these days I'm gonna get George on my podcast and I'm out settling once and for all. Maybe yeah. there's a couple of yeah. things that led up to that. Again, like we were talking about the Hugh Davis thing, people only see or hear this much, but not enough leading up to it's it. It's crazy because it, there's another story that impacted <laughs> us as a team. Um, uh, we were in I'm not for sure. It was during the ACC run. Uh, we in practice, and Coach Smith would always do situations. Like he'll put two minutes on the clock. The first team would be down 15 to the second team. And if you don't get within four, mm -hmm. you lose that drill. And every drill you had to run. Wow. So we doing the drill. We down 10 or 15. We make a run. Donald Williams makes a steal. He dives on the floor for the loose ball, and he calls a timeout. You know, back in the 90s, you could practice for three, four hours. Mm -hmm. And we had already been practicing for three or four hours. I don't remember what. I just know <laughs> this was the end of practice. I was ready to go get go to the training table and get something to eat. Coach Smith puts us on the line for Donald calling a timeout in practice. He makes us run. And, like, if you if you ever been to a Carolina practice, throughout the practice, there's plus minuses. So for everything you do wrong, your team run. For everything you do right, he takes a point off. Mm -hmm. I could have sworn we ran 50 more suicides. And this was after <laughs> before our practice. So those type of practices, it scars you as a player. Sure. But it helps you. It ingrains, ingrains in you what's important. And to Coach Smith, Roy Williams, and I'm sure Hubert Davis, um, timeouts are going to be are very important in sure. late game situations. Sure, I'm glad, and thank you so much for sharing that, and even taking us a little bit of an insight on the North Carolina practices and all that good stuff, man. Always very good, uh, valuable information. Let's go to the next one here because I think I got some pretty fun stuff here. Uh, uh, how about this one? The secret satisfaction. So it's no secret that Duke did not make the NCAA tournament this year. 
did you get a little, just a little bit of satisfaction or how much uh, from them not making the tournament this year? Man, it's, it's that, that Carolina Duke rivalry in that um, it's, it's, you, you have to go to one of the two schools to really understand uh, the passion. Well, okay. I wouldn't say it's hate, but the competition, the competitiveness. And when last year, when we didn't make the tournament and the tournament was canceled, yeah, you couldn't have found a happier <laughs> alumni or a Carolina supporter that no one got to go to the tournament. <laughs> and I then, I'm sure. And then this year, unfortunately for the, for the players. Now, I felt bad for all the college basketball because part of the college experience as an athlete is going, is being in an arena, you're having 22,000, 18, whatever it is, the number, having those fans support you and cheer for you, you know, being able to walk on campus after a win or a loss, the, the ups and downs, and that that makes that whole college experience worthwhile for, for a student athlete. And... Um, Deep down inside, a lot of alumni, former Carolina players, were pretty happy when Duke didn't get invited to the tournament. But on the other hand, I felt bad for those students because it was mm -hmm. a walk-on that crushed their opportunity or chances of going to the tournament. And mm -hmm. I, I hate to be that 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 one walk-on who went to that frat party or pledged for his fraternity that. Um, that ruined those opportunities for those young men, uh, especially the seniors. The other guys, underclassmen, can can come back another year, but those seniors that do that had to end their season like that was that was heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. I haven't had the opportunity to really go to that Duke or Carolina game, that rivalry, or be a part of that. Uh, that that one's on my bucket list. A lot of people are like, you get to do so much stuff and have so many opportunities and credentials and so forth, but that's still the one that's on the top of my list, a box that I haven't quite gotten a chance to check yet. Just one or two questions last uh, for you here. Again, appreciate you for extending the time just a little bit. You obviously played with this guy, was a teammate, NBA Finals 2001 and so forth. Allen, the answer, Iverson. Give me, for what can be shared for the air, uh, give me your most memorable Allen Iverson story or even just something about AI that, us on the outside looking in just really didn't have a chance to see or know about him that you would like to certainly put out there and make it known. You know, you, you hear about these guys say they love the game and they'll play for free. Uh, uh, I played with a lot of guys who were so-called franchise players. Okay. Uh, AI was by far the one player who really enjoyed playing the game. There was nothing else mattered or bigger other than his family and his kids meant more to him as far as playing basketball. I mean, he would play, he would play with a broken leg. He'll play with a torn ACL. You see these guys taking time off for rest. <laughs> that was not Allen. He would not yeah. do that. And I think there's a, that's a lost. Um, art kind of. There's a lost art nowadays with kids. I mean, and a lot of these kids nowadays, they play a lot of AU basketball leading up to their college careers and NBA careers. But they basically had to lock Allen in a room to keep him from playing. Uh, he was a great <laughs> teammate. He was, I mean, knowing that your best player will play hurt, uh, 
meant a lot to guys who were, you know, kind of, we were role players. We were key role players, but we were, you know, we weren't as talented. And I try to tell people, Allen was so talented that, I mean, he probably had more talent on one finger than most guys <laughs> in the NBA. Yeah. And uh, he was just an unbelievable competitor. Very, very last one for the day, and then we'll get you out of here, I promise. We called this one our chalkboard question of the day. Don't ask me why it's called that. Kind of weird. Don't want to go through the whole thing explaining it. But there's been a lot of talk, and I think uh, I got it back there somewhere, my little magazine talking <laughs> about best dra uh, draft classes and so forth. You've got your 84, your 96, your 2003. This has been a very popular topic and subject as of late. So let me ask George Lynch. What is your what? Who do you feel like had the best NBA draft class? Uh, name name everybody. Eighty four was that Barkley. Mm -hmm. uh, who else was in that class? That was Barkley. that. Was that, Malone, that was that. Mm -hmm. Malone in that class too. Mm -hmm. Eighty four. Yep. Yeah. I believe. Right. A, uh, yeah. I think. I think Malone was eighty four. I feel like Malone was eighty four. Um, what was that? Was that one? That was. That was Michael's year of 84 as well. Um, who else was in that one? Let me see. You got the Sam Bowie. Who went third? Well, let me see. Second. Oh, Akeem 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 was in that one. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. The game is, the game has changed, man. Guys play totally yes. different. The game is evolving. Um, you know, that 96 class was very exciting. Uh, and then who all was in that 03 class? I can't remember. Everybody. That was the uh, Carmelo, LeBron, uh, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. That was the 2000 class. I'm sorry, 2003. Darko Milicic, don't remind me. I, I, I know yeah. that you did some work with uh, with the Grand Rapids Drive and so forth as an assistant. And, and I'm from up to around that neck of the woods. Don't remind me of the Darko Milicic stuff. No, I won't. But, uh, yeah. I, won't. But, uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't think you I want me to vomit. I, um, I mean, because I'm older and I'm a Jordan fan and, you know, those guys, I grew up watching Barkley and all those guys idolizing them, wanting to play like them. Uh, man. Uh, That's too tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, 96 was, you know, the players are exciting. Uh, uh, wasn't Vince Carter Col in that class? Uh, Vince, Kobe, AI was in that class. Um, I feel like Steve Nash may have been in that class. Oh, yeah. Ray Allen, yeah, all I those mentioned. guys. You know, it's it's crazy because all Marcus of them have, have carried the torch very well and represented the NBA. So mm -hmm. uh, it's it's tough, man. I'm it's I'm give my nod to Mike though, man. Mike, okay, <laughs> Mike. These guys are making a lot of money on these shoe deals because of Mike. There you go. There you go. Uh, getting you out of here, man. What 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 team does your son play for, and what's his name? Oh, my youngest boy is Santana Lynch. Uh, okay. He goes to Myers Park High School, uh, played varsity as a freshman. Uh, he's about 6'3 right now and skinny as a rail, so we're trying to get him in the weight room so he can have a uh, a good year this year coming up as a sophomore. What what team on the on the AAU circuit does he play for? Do you know? Oh, I just – I got a little program, Flight 9, we call it. And, okay. Uh, we just running. Uh, this is my first year putting the team together here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, so we had a nice little run in Dallas, Texas, 
about four years ago. Uh, So now we're trying to build something and teach these young men how to play basketball the right way. That's right. That's right. Keep your eyes and your ears open. Santana Lynch, Flight 9 on the AU circuit. And uh, whenever I get a chance to come up to around Carolina, I'll be sure to ring your line or something like that. You get to Atlanta, you know, let me know something. Maybe actually, we actually, we, uh, we we might come down to Atlanta at the end of the month on the 30th and play in the tournament. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let me know. I would love to come and, 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 and check it out and uh, hopefully get a chance to meet you uh, uh, personally. Six feet, of course, six feet and yeah. all that good stuff, doing it the safe way. But, uh, but I, I got my shot love... today, man. I got my vaccine today. So well, c- congratu- congratulations to you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm right behind you. I can't tell you how far behind you, but I'm behind you. So, uh, I, but thank you so much. Listen, thank you so much, man. Again, want to make sure the people know George Lynch really appreciate you for, uh, coming on the program. NBA vet, former head coach at Clark Atlanta university, uh, co-founder of HBCU heroes. Guys, don't forget to go and check that out. People look like us and people that don't look like us have opportunities to uh, exercise uh, that option as well. North Carolina alum, we touched on all that great, great stuff. Uh, Find them on Twitter at G Lynch coach. That is at G Lynch coach. Coach George, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. And that's my dude, man. Uh, George joined us and uh, appreciate him for coming through and uh, contributing uh to the show as well and always overly thankful and grateful and appreciative of him doing that remember to go and follow the podcast on social media all social media platforms at tates take hoops t-a-t-e-s-t-a-k-e-h-o-o-p-s you know that we like to call it where basketball lives i always tell you you have a plat you have a voice on this particular platform as well uh so just um make sure that you go and do your part go and subscribe anywhere that you find your favorite podcast, as well as go and subscribe on the YouTube channel, Tate's Take, very simple, T-A-T-E, apostrophe S, T-A-K-E. And um, don't save your conversations for the, and opinions and so forth and comments for the local sports bar or for the local barbershop. You always have a voice here. Uh, So remember to go in. You know I had to leave off with this one, especially if you're a regular listener. Uh, 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 Make sure that you go and tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your mama, tell your grandmama, and tell your baby mama where they can find the best, the most entertaining, the most informational, and the most educational basketball content on the planet in the form of a podcast, none other than Tate's Take. And appreciate George Lynch one more time for joining us here on the program. Until next time, we'll see you then. Bye.